Praise Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. Almighty God, we indeed worship you. You are glorious beyond all comparison, and we thank you, Jesus, that you receive our worship. God, receive our worship now as we open your word, as we turn to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the one who can and does work in us and through us for our joy and for your glory. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Anima sana, incorpore sano. This is the corporate motto of my favorite shoe company, ASICS. You could see where the title ASICS comes from. ASICS is Latin, of course, and it means healthy mind in a healthy body. What more could you want? A healthy mind in a healthy body? That is a great blessing indeed, isn't it? By the way, if there are any corporate officers for ASICs listening, I still wear a size 11. And I like the ones that help my pronation because I still struggle with that. Growing up, I used Nikes. In fact, the only pair of Nikes I ever liked were my track spikes because they were the only ones that worked. In college, I got two free pair of Etonics because they sponsored our cross-country team. And that was cool. And Reeboks never did a thing for me, so I haven't owned a pair of Reeboks in decades. I still have two pair of Asics in my closet. Now, I believe that Jesus' best friend John would thoroughly like Asics. I don't know if he had pronation or not. He probably actually didn't like shoes because he probably never wore them. But he would love the slogan, healthy mind in healthy body. This is how he put the same idea. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, as we go through the letter of 3 John, you will see how this prayer, this blessing makes perfect sense because John has one big idea in this letter and he has four applications of that big idea. That big idea is walk well. See, that's why I thought he'd like the ASICs. Now, he puts this big idea into verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, since it's Mother's Day, moms, what do you want for your kids? Well, certainly a healthy mind and a healthy body. Absolutely, you want that. You want them to have success in their corporate or their, their, their job. You want them to have success in all kinds of things. But what you want more than anything is that they are walking in the truth. 
everything that John says in this letter is related to this idea of walking in the truth. So let's see how this works out. And we'll start off with verses 1 and 2. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that it may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Asics motto, anima sana, incorpore sano, healthy mind in healthy body, expresses in a general secular form what John prays for in verse 2. When we are discussing wisdom literature in the Bible, as Pastor Benji and I have been for the last couple of weeks, you'll remember that this idea of, in general, this is how it works. And in general, if you are walking in the truth, you will be healthy in body and in spirit. So John turns this truism, this biblical proverb, if you will, into a prayer and ask God to give this gift of anima sana incorpore sano to those who are walking in the truth. So walk well. Walk well. Walk in the truth so you will be on this path of having the healthy body and healthy mind. And this is where we pick up the thread that John carries throughout the rest of the short letter. He writes, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now first, we need to understand this metaphor, walking. Walking just sounds like what we do on a daily basis, but it's used many times by many authors in the New Testament for the simple idea of to live, to live in a certain way that reflects whatever it is that Jesus or John or Paul or Luke are trying to get across. For example, Jesus used the word in John 8, 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Obviously, walking in the dark is hard to do. In fact, you can ask my kids, one of the things I've insisted on all throughout their life is that they have a path to the bathroom clear at night. <clears throat> now that was quite a bit bigger challenge when Legos were all over the floor. But you'll also understand that I knew that there would be times that I needed to go in their bedroom and Legos need to be out of the pathway. Why? Because walking in the darkness is difficult. And Jesus is drawing a comparison here, just like walking on your kid's Legos hurts. So walking without the light of Jesus, it hurts. It's hard. And Jesus says, walk with me and you'll have all the light you need, even if there are Legos. Paul picks up this image as well in Ephesians 2.10. We are the Father's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
The point Paul makes here is that God the Father created you and me who trust in his promises for us in Christ to be his hands and to be his feet to the world all around us. Therefore, you and I must live our lives doing those things that reflect the glory of God instead of the glory of whatever stuff, circumstances, or relationships that you're chasing after. John's point in our passage is similar. Walking in the truth means that you live your life reflecting the truth of God's word that he has graciously put into your heart. Now what truth is that? What, what truth, John, could we be talking about? Well, you know, it's the whole Bible, right? So, so walking in the truth will be whatever passage of Scripture you are currently reading or whichever one applies to you. But, you know, oh my goodness, that would take a long time to preach that message. So let's simplify it a great deal and we'll do exactly what Jesus did in simplifying it and read Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40. What is the great commandment? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. By the way, that's Jesus' shorthand for the Old Testament. After this summer, come this fall, we are going to start Deuteronomy. Now, we are going to start Deuteronomy because I am absolutely convinced that we will find the good news of Jesus Christ in the book of Deuteronomy. Come. This is going to be exciting. And, by the way, pray for that crazy guy who's going to be doing that as he's preparing over these next couple months while we go through Colossians. All right, enough said. Walking in the truth can be usefully summarized, as Jesus does here in Matthew 22, by loving God and loving those who are nearest you. Therefore, walk well. Walk by loving God and loving those nearest you. Walk well. Walk according to or in the truth is to love God and to love those nearest you. If you are living your life in the light of Jesus that he provides, you are doing the work of God the Father that he gave to you, and you are walking in love. And what is the best test of walking in love? The people who are around you. They will see that you are walking in love. They will know it and they will feel it even if you're not walking around saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. If you are, as we discussed uh, three or four weeks ago, the definition of love, if you are willing and able to sacrifice for the good of the beloved then you are walking in the truth. You are walking in the light of Jesus. You are walking according to the works that the Father has prepared for you beforehand from the beginning of time. And the people will notice. And when the people will notice, then you can tell them, I love Jesus. 
I love Jesus more than stuff. I love Jesus more than pride of position. I love Jesus more than my own whatever. And, not surprisingly, John gives us four very clear applications on how to do this. So let's look at what he says. Verse 5 through 8. It says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In other words, he's talking about the people probably who took John chapter 2 to them and have now returned to give John a report and then come back to see them again. But I want to do a sidebar here. Because this is an important one that I think will be good for us. Do you realize that helping other believers is more important in the New Testament scriptures than helping non-believers? Why do I say that? Galatians 6.10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of the faith. Why especially? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Apart from Exodus chapter 3, where Moses commands the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians as they are living because of 430 years of slavery, the Bible never looks to asking non-believers for support of the mission for the kingdom of God. Never. God is not so poor as to need help from anyone, nor are we to make non-believers believe they are helping God out by throwing in a $20 bill as the plate passes, as if he needed our money. God commands you and I to give, not because he needs my money, but because he wants our heart. Your heart is his goal, and your wallet is the most convenient access point to your heart. Because as you are giving, you are also loving. You've heard me say before, you can love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Now, I understand, I this area is far more complex than I'm giving it to at this moment. And I also acknowledge that there are times when non-believers will support you in some way. I'm not denying all that. But what I am saying is that believers should not go to non-believers as a strategy for supporting the kingdom of God. And we should be the ones who are supporting the kingdom of God. Believers must support other believers. Who else can be depended upon to do it? Furthermore, who or what would you want to support more than expanding the borders of the kingdom of God? Support those who are walking in the truth 
so that you will encourage others to do the same and so that you will encourage your own heart to do the same. Because as you give to somebody who is walking in the truth, it will encourage you in your walking in the truth. Now, another principle we should take from here, God's ambassadors should be supported in comfort. Ooh, them's fighting words. I should have put Yosemite Sam back up here again. God's ambassadors should be supported in comfort when comfort is rightly understood. God's ambassadors to all over the world should be helped by God's people so that they aren't sitting there fretting about money all the time and they can be doing the work of the kingdom of God. Did that pastor just say that? Now, I say that in part because my family and I are very comfortable. We thank you, Grace, for treating us so well for the last 11 and a half years. And I have absolutely nothing to complain about. And I thank many of you in this room as being a part of that. Thank you for being an example of those who walk well in this area. And press on. Keep moving forward. Walk well in this who support of those who carry the good news to the world. This will include those who work at the local church or mission organization, but it will also go for those who are local to you, those whom you know face to face, who are loving the world and are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in such a way that people around them are being affected. Look for opportunities for blessing, or as the Bible says in many places, refreshing those who bless and refresh others. And there are several in this room who have refreshed my wife and I, and I'm sure some of the other staff as well. Thank you for that. And keep going forward. Press on and walk well. John continues, verse 9. He commands us to oppose troublemakers. He writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I think both the other pastors and the other pastors, all of the pastors in this room, will acknowledge you want to refresh us, oppose troublemakers. Oppose those who masquerade as Christians and are the ones who are infiltrating the love and the grace and the mercy and the peace of God in the local church. Now, John here, ever the list maker, if you... If you go through all of John's writings, you will find great lists for all kinds of things. He gives four ways right here of noting if this person in front of you is a troublemaker in the church. Number one, they put themselves first. They don't acknowledge authority. Specifically here, 
extrapolating it to the 21st century, biblical authority, those men and women who uh, take their authority from God's word and not presume upon it themselves. We don't have apostles wandering the earth anymore. So they put themselves first. Number two, they refuse to be a blessing to ambassadors of the kingdom. I'm going to hold on to mine. Thank you very much. That is a really good way of noting if someone is a troublemaker or not. Number three, they busy themselves putting people out of the church. They put people out of the church. They, they run them away because they want control. Oppose people like that. And you'll notice I put one characteristic of them out of order. They talk wicked nonsense. Now, this, I think, is the chief characteristic that John wants us to get because his chief characteristic of the, what is good here is walking in the truth. The truth is very prominent throughout this letter. So this idea of talking nonsense has to be what he is aiming at. Those who w- oppose those walking in the truth talk wicked nonsense. Now, let me make a qualification and then a clarification. God's a big boy. If you get mad at God for something, eh, he's bigger than that. He can brush it off his shoulders. Maybe there will be a time that you are really angry at God and you blame him for something. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably sin, but guess what? There's forgiveness for sin, right? What John is talking about is not this emotional gut reaction to bad things that are happening in our lives. What he's talking about instead is this incessant and even under the table trying to get under the skin of believers. God did not say you shall surely die. Causing you to doubt the Bible, causing you to doubt God's word, causing you to doubt what he has done for you. These, my friends, are the people we must oppose. And this wicked nonsense is what is happening all around and is absolutely in vogue today in our culture. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you have a thought, you should take it straight to Scripture to see if it is true or not. Because there is so much in the air that we breathe and the water we drink that is just so absolute wicked nonsense around us today. We don't even recognize it. We're allowing it to wash over us. And we must stand under the protection of God's word so that we can stand up against the wicked nonsense. Now again, I don't believe that this is primarily speaking about the wicked nonsense found in the culture. 
That is a given. We must stand against that. I believe what he's specifically getting at is talking about those people who consider themselves, they call themselves leaders in God's church who are undermining the authority of Scripture, undermining the authority of the church, and are casting doubt. And again, I think there's two really big areas in our culture where that is happening, and we're fighting that battle in the visible church. And that are the two issues of abortion and the degradation of marriage. Those are two battles. They're not the only ones, don't get me wrong. But they are two. And where you see fighting within the church about those two issues, you and I need to stand up and oppose that fighting. Now, with love, with grace, with tact, I'm all for that. But don't let nonsense reign around you. Instead, walk well. Again, in this cultural moment, in order to walk well, we must stand up against those who call themselves Christians and stand against the work, who stand against the work of Christ's bride. And part of the way we do that is the third application, imitate our leaders. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil, those people that we were just talking about, Diotrephes and his ilk, but imitate what is good. And he's going to give us an example of how we do this. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, for example, probably the guy who brought this letter to the church, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Who better to see than the people who are around you? But notice about what is going on with Demetrius. Others, number one, had evidently told Gaius, the person who's receiving this letter, about Demetrius, but he hadn't met him yet. In other words, he has received a good testimony from everyone. And then this phrase, from the truth itself, I take that to mean that once Gaius has spent some time with Demetrius, he will be able to give testimony himself of, hey, Demetrius is a good guy. We ought to listen to him. And then John says, and I, writing this letter, handing it to Demetrius, sending it to you, am giving my own testimony saying, Demetrius knows the truth. He's walking in the truth. He loves God. He loves people. Listen to him. And then he says, and you know our testimony is true. Now, Remember we talked about throwaway phrases in the Bible a few weeks ago? This is one of those phrases that we're tempted to throw away. We're tempted to just skip that. We're we going on, oh, we also add our testimony, uh, blah, blah, blah. What's verse 13? Don't do that. There is so much of great value. You know that our testimony is true. You've heard the phrase, it takes years to build character, it takes minutes to ruin a reputation. Well, obviously, John has spent the time building his character, building his reputation, showing the people at this church that, hey, you guys know us. And we're 
telling you that this is a good guy and you know you are you know that our testimony is true paul says the same idea when he says oh yeah we need letters of recommendation no 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 you are our letters of recommendation because you have seen how we lived and you know that you know that you know that we love God and we love others. So, John, to Demetrius, gives, to Gaius, gives Demetrius two big thumbs up. You got it? He's the man. Trust him. Do you want to live in such a way that the people you respect give you two thumbs way up? Walk well. Walk well by loving God and loving others. Walk in the truth. Walk according to the promises of God for you in Christ. Walk loving. Show others your willingness and ability to sacrifice for their good. Obviously, Demetrius was a lover of people because he had earned so much street cred with so many of God's people. He loved them and they knew it. That's why they gave their testimony to whomever it would encourage about him. So, do you want some street cred? Fourth point, love each other. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Another great paragraph not to skip. John loves helping his people. John loves teaching people how to walk well. John loves encouraging them and giving them hope. And if that needs a pen and paper, so be it. Write a letter. If it means sending a text message or an email, so be it. Do it. But he'd rather see them face to face. Now, I wish he'd written more because then we'd have more to read. Seriously, folks. I mean, come on. But the Bible isn't written to satisfy Greg Burtnett's curiosity, is it, Pastor Benji? While the faith is built on information and words, I will not deny that for a million dollars. You know what? You have all the information you need. You have all the Bible you need. You have all the instruction you need. What do you and I need? You and I need to walk in the truth that we already know. We don't need more truth. We need more walk. We don't need more faith. Jesus says all we need is a mustard seed's worth. What we need is trust in the right person. We don't need more money or fame or position or even breath. What we need is a willingness to sacrifice for those who are nearest us for the glory of God. We need to walk well. Now, one of my favorite movie lines of all time is from the movie Meet the Robinsons. It's a great cartoon movie about adoption. And the key character is this orphan boy, and he meets obstacle after obstacle. Some are because of his own failures, and some are because of this evil, shadowy little bumbler. 
But in this story, when he is most discouraged, he meets this other boy who constantly is telling him, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You meet an an obstacle. Keep moving forward. You mess up. You keep moving forward. You sin. You keep moving forward. This is good advice. In fact, the Greeks made a huge list of virtues. Depending on which philosopher you read, they had a whole mess of them. And a virtue is a characteristic of a person or a thing that reflects what that being ought to be. And the chief virtue, the number one virtue, is perseverance. The queen of the virtues is keep moving forward. Because without this virtue of perseverance, the rest of them combined to mean nothing. How did Demetrius gain a good testimony? By loving people over time continually walking the extra mile in truth and refusing to give up when setbacks and obstacles shove themselves into the path of that love. Keep moving forward so that you can walk well. Now, this is tough stuff. Holy smokes. How do we do all this? Well, of course, the answer is only by the grace of God. And so, with that in mind, this is how John ends his letter. He says, Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Finally, peace. Shalom. You've heard me say here before, this idea of fruitful wholeness, well-being in who you are and in what you do, a sense of rightness be to you. This comes when by grace you walk well. We said that in general, if one, if it goes well with your spirit, it will go well with your body and vice versa. If you are walking well by loving those nearest you, you will have the peace that John wishes for his friends. So walk well. And even if, because of arthritis in your shoulder or your body doesn't work as much and as well as it used to. You don't feel this anima sana incorpore sano. You will have the peace that passes understanding because you will have God's blessing and that's worth more than a thousand pairs of ASICs. Walk well. Walk in the truth. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, thank you for this opportunity to come before you. God, I pray that you would enable your children to walk well. In Jesus' name, amen.